Well, it sure is good to be at First Baptist Church this morning. For those of you who may not know me, I'm uh, basically one of those members who comes to Sunday school and leaves. Uh, <laughs> leaves after Sunday school. Um, uh, I'm an itinerant preacher, uh, basically around Etowah County and beyond on some Sundays. And every invitation that I get to preach is a humbling uh, honor for pastors to invite me to fill in for them and to stand in and in their absences. And it's always humbling when your pastor invites you to preach at your church. And so this is really a distinct honor for me to be able to uh, share with my home church uh, today for Tammy and I to be here together uh, today. And so I want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and find Psalm 85. And while you're turning there, let me just take this opportunity and invite you to our Etowah Baptist Association annual meeting next Sunday afternoon. It'll be at 2 o'clock at Southside Baptist. Uh, it's our annual meeting. We ask everybody to come together one day a year just so that we can celebrate what God's doing at Etowah Baptist Association and have a wonderful time of worship and preaching and just enjoy fellowship with one another. We have 80 churches here in Etowah County. And so it's an opportunity for everybody to come together for one time for just a little while and enjoy one another. And next Sunday is that opportunity. So I hope that you'll take advantage of that. Psalm 85 this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning as we read God's Word together. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. O oh Lord, you showed your favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your fury. You turned away from your burning anger. Restore us, O God, of our salvation and cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth springs from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before him and will make his footsteps into a way. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight today. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Have you ever been discouraged because the life you are now living does not seem to be as real or joyful as your life was after you first became a Christian? Are you as joyful today and even more so 
as you were the day that you met Christ. John Wesley, the old Methodist minister, felt and had days where he knew that his joy and his exuberance and his enthusiasm for the Lord was not what it should be, and he posed a question to himself when he said, where is the joy I knew when I first saw the Lord? Where is the joy that I knew when I first saw the Lord? That's really a good question for all of us who are Christians. We're talking about the subject of revival today and we're asking ourselves, do we need do we need revival? Revival is really a waning topic in many churches today. I do not hear of people having revival services like they used to. I grew up, as many of you did, in a time where it was not unusual to have at least two a year, one in the spring and one in the fall, and they were seven days, including Saturdays. Uh, we would meet together and we would come hear the preacher, and and I am a product of salvation of one of those revivals 50 years ago, May the 17th of ni- on ni- in 1973, I surrendered my heart and life to Jesus Christ in one of those revival services. But when it comes to revival today, I think that perhaps we've come to grips with what revival, and I hope we have, what revival really involves and entails. Revival is not a, necessarily a time, although God can do whatever God chooses to do in a revival setting. Revival is not a time for lost to be saved, although they can be. Revival is a time for churchgoers to get reignited in their salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think sometimes when we think of revival, that's for somebody else. I've already, I've already had mine. And it's true. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have been saved and you are and do have a new life in Jesus Christ. But how excited are you about that relationship with him now after perhaps many years have gone by? If we're honest with ourselves, we... We find ourselves longing for spiritual vitality and fruitfulness of earlier days. And that is the question we should be asking. Where is the joy I knew when I first saw the Lord? And if we're not too discouraged, perhaps we might pray a prayer like the psalmist does in Psalm 85 when he asks the Lord for restoration and Revival. God, would you restore me and revive me to that vitality that I, that I once knew? This is the kind of prayer that Psalm 85 is. Psalm 85, the context of it is, is in the time when the Jews are returning from exile. They have been uh, sequestered in Babylon for uh, 70 years. Cyrus, the king of Persia, delivers a decree that says that you can return to your homeland. And, and some did and some didn't. And those who did return, when they got back to the homeland, everything was laid waste. The temple was destroyed. The walls were down. And those who returned first, according to the prophecies of Ezra and Zechariah and Haggai, 
they took to rebuilding the temple, which they completed and did, and, and, and did as good a job as they possibly could. But then the next phase came when it came time to rebuild the walls. The walls were the protection of the city, and they had been torn down, and they had been, they had been burned. And they tried to do it, and they failed. They tried to do it, but the enemies were too great against them, and they could not complete the task. And because of the challenges they were facing, the opposition was continuing. And the initial joy of coming home, the initial enthusiasm of being back in their homeland began to wane. They started out so strong. They started out so excited, but their progress and began to slow and their forward motion stopped and discouragement and despair set in to the point, according to Nehemiah chapter 1, that they found themselves in great trouble and disgrace. So what did God's people do in such a circumstance? How do you and I respond when we lose momentum? How do you and I respond when the forward motion of our spiritual progress begins to slow and begins to wane and we find ourselves in a state of mind that we know that we are not as excited about the Lord as we once were? Whether that be as an individual or even in a corporate setting as a church, how do we respond to these circumstances? Well, we do what the people did. They began to pray and then they waited on God to answer. And God answered them in the person of Nehemiah. He came in, he rebuilt the walls, he restored the nation, and lifted the people to new levels of spirituality and, and rejoicing. My prayer is this morning that this psalm will have the same impact upon, upon us. Because I'm confident, I'm confident that there are those who are in this room who, like me, find ourselves struggling sometimes to keep the momentum going, to keep the progress moving, to keep the forward motion going. And so the psalmist writes this psalm in four stanzas, and each four, each of the four stanzas has a prescription for us about how, how we might experience revival. The first one is found in verses 1 through 3, where the psalmist tells us that the first thing we need to do is to recall the past. Now, you heard me right. I, I know most of us as pastors and preachers are trying to pry our hands off the past in order to make progress and, and be able to move forward. But in this instance, it is right and appropriate for us to stop and remember the past. Some of you might be thinking, well, well Brother Craig, I, I, you know, part of the problem is the disconnect of the joys of the past and the misery that I find myself in today. And you're telling me to recall the past, recall those, those good old days, and that's precisely what I'm asking you to do. And the reason I'm asking you to do that is because when God is good to us, he's really good. His goodness is real and, and lasting, and it is worth remembering. And it is because God is good that we have the hope of recovering what is lost. It is because God is good that we have the hope of having that joy and that vitality restored and revived in us. Verse 1 tells us, deals with the land and their reversal of fortune. He says, O oh Lord, you showed 
favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob. He recalls that, that good time, and, but the reversal of fortune in their land. And, and, but notice that he doesn't dwell on the land being restored. He focuses on the forgiveness of sins and the removal of the wrath of God. That's significant for you and I if we're seeking to achieve a state of revival and renewal in our life. Because the first thing I want to do this morning is to remind you that the greatest of all mercies that we can receive from God is the forgiveness of our sins. All the other mercies that we experience in our life flow from this, yet how quickly we forget and how little we value God's forgiveness. As long as we are in good health and as long as we are happy, As long as we have family support and are employed and things are going okay, we think that we are blessed. But if we find ourselves lacking in any of these areas, we might begin to suppose that God doesn't care. And in those times, we do not immediately go back to the fact, God, I'm having a struggle in my life. I'm going through a time of difficulty. But in the midst of the struggle, God, I want to thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I want to thank you for your son dying on the cross for me. God, I want to thank you for removing the judicial wrath of God through the atoning death of Jesus Christ. How many of us do that? When we go through the challenges of life, do we go back Our point of restarting is, God, I give you praise. Because even in the midst of the struggle, I can hold on to the fact that I'm forgiven. Notice the language that he uses here. He uses beautiful language. He says, covered their sins. You covered their sins. You covered all their sin. That speaks of of the atonement. He says you set aside, you withdrew all your fury. You set aside your wrath. That speaks of the propitiation, that the payment of our sin debt has been been satisfied. If we just did this, if we just stopped and praised God and said, God, in the midst of my struggles, thank you that my sins are covered by your blood. In the midst of me being down spiritually in my life, I want to thank you that I do not have to worry about your wrath that I deserved. If we would just remember those things from time to time, it might be enough to lift us out of spiritual lethargy and and revive us. It might be just enough. But most of us are probably not going to do that because the, the nation of Israel didn't do that. They needed some more steps. But... Let's say, first of all, today, recall the past. When you're down, when you're struggling, when your spiritual spiritual vitality is weakened and your fruitfulness is not where it perhaps once was, at least start with this one thing. God, thank you that my sins are forgiven. Thank you that your wrath is removed. Help me go forward from there. But the second thing he gives us is to request restoration. He has a tandem request in verses 4 through 7 where he asks for 
restoration, and revival. And the reason the psalmist asked for this is because this is precisely what the people needed. When the joy of their salvation seemed to be missing, when there needed to be a sense of revival, they need restoration and revival. This is what we need when we find ourselves in those places. This is what we need when we allow idols to usurp the supremacy of God in our lives. When other things become more important in our lives, we need to come back to God and say, yes, God, thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. Praise you for the removal of your wrath. But Father, I need to be restored. I need revival in my life. And so the first request is that of restoration. And one of the greatest stories of promised restoration is found in the often overlooked prophecy of Joel. Later on in the Old Testament, in Joel's in Joel's book, he tells of the devastation of a, that a swarm of locusts caused. And when he explains to us what, what has happened, he tells, tells us that it is God's judgment for the people's sins and a warning of a greater final judgment. But God says there is an out to this. There, it doesn't, you don't have to face this if you will repent. If you will repent. One of the things that you and I as Christians must realize and come to grips with is that even though we are saved, we still sin. The difference is we have the Holy Spirit in us to help keep us in check so that we don't go on in that sin, but it doesn't mean that we're through repenting. It doesn't mean that we're through confessing. And one of the things that you and I as church-going Christians need to remember is that perhaps in order to experience revival and restoration in my life, I may need to confess some sin. I may need to repent of something that's going on in my life. Uh, Joel writes in chapter 2 of Joel, verses 25 and 26, he says, Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locusts have eaten the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust. My great army, which I sent among you, you will have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Let's be reminded, folks, this morning that sin causes us to lose many blessings. And when sin causes us to lose blessings, they cannot be recovered. They're, they're gone. But our God is the great restorer. And our God can give us new opportunities and new blessings. If your life has been ruined by the locust of sin, notice the, the descriptive terms Joel used. If, you're, if your life has been destroyed by the swarming locusts, by the creeping locusts, by the stripping locusts, by the gnawing locusts, if your life has been stripped of joy, your life has been stripped of vitality because of sin in your life, you can repent and God can do the restoring work in your life that you desire to be done. You can return to fruitful living. You you can return to a life that is in a spiritual land that is good and not a desert. That's the restoration word. But then he asked for revival. 
The second request is for the people to be, to be revived. The word revived means to resurrect or to make alive. It implies that people were alive once but have died in a spiritual sense and now need to be given spiritual life again. This is what the church almost always needs. And this is how revival comes. When we think of revival as being a move of God in the world so that unchurched believers come to Christ, that's a great thing. But that, if we want genuine revival, revival doesn't start in the world, it starts in the church. And the reason it starts in the church is because the church is what needs to be revived again. Those of us who are who are older, talk about the good old days. Those of us who grew up in Gaza, we remember the days. We remember the days when many of our churches were filled to capacity, when our parking lots were full, and when we had genuine joy and enthusiasm about the church and, and gathering together. Many of us remember those revivals that I referenced just, uh, just a moment ago, but those of us who have those memories struggle when we talk to the younger generation about those times, we struggle because there is a disconnect. There's a historical generational disconnect because they have no recollection of things being that way. In the room this morning, we have two groups of people. We have those who are like me, who have the memories of full houses on Sunday morning, and we have those who all they've seen is the changing culture the decline of respect for God, the falling church attendance, the lack of time given to God and God being a priority. We have those, those groups represented here. My generation and the generations above me have all the recollection of the good old days. The younger generation has the recollection of not the good old days, the days of challenge the days of, of struggle. And we're just like the psalmist, we, we wonder, God, can, can we experience revival? Can, can we experience restoration? Can, can the days of long ago be, be restored again? And the answer is yes. But it might not be exactly like it was before to the extent that it was before. But the church can once again thrive and flourish because God longs to revive his sinful people that they may once again find their joy and satisfaction in him. But in order for that to happen, we've got to lose all of our pride and simply rejoice in God again. Revival will happen when we are honest with ourselves about the condition of our spiritual lives and we throw away all the props that we lean on, believing that they are the things that make our lives good. That's the reason the basis of our mercies, the basis of our celebration, the basis of the joy of our salvation, the basis of the enthusiasm about being a child of God is that we have been forgiven of our sins and the wrath of God has been removed. And we meet... Sunday after Sunday in the hopes that someone else will be set free from that. But we also meet every Sunday in hopes that those of us who are believers in Christ will not grow stale. 
Part of our prayer is, God, that we will maintain our joy and our enthusiasm and our excitement about being your child and about being a part of your family and about being engaged in your kingdom work. Lord, we want to be excited about that. We don't want it to be routine and mundane and have just go through the motions. This is what the psalmist was concerned. He did not want the people. The people did not need to return to Israel and, and it be business as usual. And they were, they were hit in the gut. When you walk back and your city walls are down and your temple's gone and your city has been destroyed, that's a gut punch. And so the psalmist went to pray, God restore us and revive us. Lord, let us not wallow in our pity, but let us turn to you and say thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for the removal of your judicial wrath. Thank you, God, that we don't have to remain in this. But Lord, we want to be excited all the time. We want to maintain the joy and the, and the enthusiasm. But we have to remember it's not, we have to get rid of the pride, folks. We have too many things that we rely on that we, we think actually bring happiness and joy to our lives that are nothing more than props. And in order for true revival to take place, we have to hurl ourselves into the life of Christ alone and confess to him that you are enough, God. Your son, Jesus Christ, is enough to sustain me and keep me going. There's a third thing that the psalmist prays for, and that is resting and trusting in the Lord, verses 8 and 9. Now here's the hard part. I don't think I have to really get you excited about the fact that you're forgiven and God's wrath has been removed. We know that restoration and revival can come if, if we just take off all the blinders and all the masks and just be real, just be real with God. But here's the hard part. The psalmist has helped us remember all these things and he's prayed for these things. But now we wait. We wait. You see, real revival is about God taking sinful, exhausted, discouraged people and bringing a fresh sense of felt forgiveness. A fresh spiritual energy, new hope, invigorated power, and a wonderful new sense of himself in our lives. That's what revival is. And if you're this morning, you're down, you're, you're despairing, you, you look at life and say, I'm not as excited about Jesus as I once was. Then you need revival. You need an invigorated power. You need a fresh sense of his energy. You need a new sense of your, of your forgiveness in your life. And only God can do that. He's the only one that can do that. So you're right where you need to be. The problem is we can't schedule it. Pastor Matt, or I can't call you and say next Sunday, October the 22nd, we've got a revival scheduled. Y'all be here. Y'all come and we're gonna have, we're gonna have revival. We can't, we can't do that. Because God is sovereign and revival is sacred and it's up to him as to how and when he works. And while we are waiting on God, we are trusting God. We're staying true to the Lord. The psalmist prayed that during this waiting period, that they would not, that we would not drift back into our folly. You see, folks, we're trying to get out of the, 
the lethargic complacency. We're trying to get out of the spiritual apathy. We're trying to move toward God and, and, and get excited about Him again. We don't want to drift back to our old ways and our old, our old folly. Some might say, well, you know, I, but I don't want to wait. I want it, I want it right I want. I want it right now. Hear me, folks. It is never foolish to wait on God, for God is not slow to answer. Our problem is, is that we are impatient and do not wait for him at all. In fact, it is often the case that we do not even lay our request before him. We must wait on him. But that being said, I am confident that God is already working through his Holy Spirit this morning. I'm confident that if you're here this morning with a yearning, longing heart, that God, through His Holy Spirit, is already bringing conviction if there's sin in your life that needs to be confessed. If your wood is wet, God is already working to dry off your heart for a fresh wind of His Spirit to ignite a fresh flame. God is already working to restore vitality to your walk with Him. And if you are lost, God is already working to draw you to Himself whereby you might confess your sins and surrender your life to Him and be saved. After all, Jesus died and was buried and rose again three days later so that you might, your sins might be covered and the wrath of God be delivered from you. The Spirit's working right now. This is what the psalmist was praying for. Now the last, the last stanza, verses 10 through 13, he tells us that we can rejoice with hopeful expectation. What might we expect if God were to do a reviving work and a restoring work in our lives? If the Holy Spirit is working like I said just a few moments ago, rest assured that our enemy is also working to keep evidence of restoration and revival from happening. Just as God is the great restorer, the devil is the great disruptor. And he loves nothing more than to disrupt your life and my life and the life of churches. He wants to bring disharmony and doubt to us, but the psalmist declares to us that like conquering generals, look at his words in verses 10 through 13, he says, Love and truth and righteousness come to bear on our situation, bringing with them certain hope and victory that we so desperately long for and are asking for. These are the things that are going to prevail in revival. These are the things that are going to prevail in restoration. These are the things that are going to prevail in God building you up from a time of being down. Love and truth and righteousness and hope. Verse 10 talks of harmony with God. These four things are always at home with Him. And we have peace when we rest and trust in Him. Verse 11 talks about the peace and the harmony between God and man. It's a picture of God's blessing when his people live in obedience. When this happens, salvation has come and glory surely does dwell in our land and in our hearts and in our churches. Verses 12 through 13 talks about harmony and, and man, peace with God and ourselves 
and others have to be present for these verses to come alive in order for us to have harmony in a chaotic world. When, we, when love and truth and righteousness and peace meld together and prevail, it's a foretaste of heaven on earth. It's a picture of what we have to look forward to. True and genuine revival is a foretaste of heaven. But these things stop being concepts and come down into experience and manifest themselves. How, what, what might we see as a result of this kind of move of God in our hearts? Well, we will see people that are lost being saved. We will see people who thought that all was well with their souls, realizing that there is hindering sin in their lives and idols in their hearts, confessing and repenting and having their heart for God be restored. We will see church-going people live for Christ so openly and consistently demonstrating conduct that is countercultural to this world that the world outside takes notice and begins to press into the church to see what is happening. We here at First Baptist live in such a way that we manifest God's restoration and revival. People are going to want, they're going to be curious. They're going to want to peek in the door see what God is doing. So do we need revival? Maybe the better question is, are we ready for revival? Do we desire the results that true revival brings? I pray the answer is yes. I pray the answer is overwhelmingly yes. If you are here today, first of all, and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, Please be reminded and understand Jesus loves you. He died for you. He was buried and three days later he arose from the grave and he is now at the right hand of the Father and when he died his blood covered your sins if you'll ask him for forgiveness and confess your sins. If you're here this morning and you are a church member, you are a believer in Jesus Christ but your life, your your heart is not as excited as it used to be. Look within. Ask God to reveal to you. God, what, what is it? Is there anything there that is, that is hindering me? And if God shows you what it is, repent of it, confess it, and let God begin the work of restoration and revival in your heart and in your life. If you're here today and you're looking for a church home, a place to belong, a place for your family to worship and grow in the Lord, I highly recommend First Baptist Church. Because they will love you, they will receive you, and you will have no doubt that they are glad that you're here. Do we need revival, folks? The answer is a resounding yes. In this world today, with all the chaos, we need revival. And only God can do it. And only we can give him permission to. So let God work in your heart and let him speak to your heart today. Let's pray.